You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. Before we begin, I want to read the resurrection story. Of course, there's uh, four different uh, retellings of the story in the Gospels, but I'm going to ask my wife to come and read uh, the Gospel account from Luke 24. So, Stephanie, you'll come and just read that. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12 today. Luke chapter 24, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember that he told you? He said, uh, While he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then... They remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Thank you, Stephanie. You know, she, she used to read to our kids when they were younger, and now when I hear like a story or I'm reading through a story that she's read before, I hear it in her voice because she's such a good reader. She really is. And uh, so, you know, it's funny. I want, you, I want to take notice of some things here. Um, first, reactions to the resurrection. It's the title of my message today. First, reactions to the resurrection. And despite what we might think about, believe me, the resurrection is cause for rejoicing. We did it this morning. We were excited. We were happy. We were joyful at the thought that Jesus rose from the dead and what that means for us, which means eternal life, which means salvation, which means that Jesus was who he said he was and that he could do what he said he could do and that his promises are true. You know, when someone makes a promise to you and then follows through on the promise, you know that person's trustworthy and true. Jesus made a promise that he would die and on the third day he would rise again. And because he kept that promise, we know that every subsequent promise that he makes is yes and amen to the believer in Jesus Christ. We have that confidence because he is not a man that he should lie. But I want you to notice some things about these first reactions to the resurrection. Uh, Stephanie just read it in uh, Luke chapter 24 that you would think that the sight of an empty tomb to those who would come upon it would be cause for rejoicing because they would remember that Jesus said he would rise again. But that's actually not some of the first reactions that we see. We see reactions like fear, concern, 
disbelief and confusion. Can you imagine that? That you appear to, you come to the empty tomb three days after Jesus was crucified and instead of seeing it and being filled with joy and faith, being filled with dread and fear and disbelief and confusion. It's only later did they rejoice, but at first there was concern. I want to talk to you first about those reactions. The first reaction is fear. When the women came to the tomb, they came to this empty tomb, and their first reaction was fear and dread. What, where is he? Where have they taken him? See, there's a couple different concerns that they had here. Their concern was, was his grave robbed? Was it desecrated by those who didn't believe? Was it raided in the middle of the night and the body taken away and left desecrated? A second concern was, did the Romans take the body and move it somewhere in the middle of the night? Another concern was, did the chief priests, did they want to put an end to this uh, following called Christianity and have the body disposed of and gotten rid of? The first reaction of these faithful women was not to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but rather that something awful happened to his body. Why is it in our human nature that our first inclination is to always to go to the worst? Have you noticed that? Especially in 2020, by the way. Everything is the worst. 2020 was literally the worst. The worst politically, the worst health-wise, the worst economically. So we are now conditioned to believe the worst, are we not? That our first inclination, our first thoughts when any situation comes is that we immediately go to the worst case scenario. Can I challenge you to this morning from this first reaction to the resurrection to not let your first inclination be fear, worry, and dread when things come up, remembering that the resurrection has power in it and gives us hope. Fear, worry, and anxiety hit us when things are out of place. Our first reaction is not always a good one. The first reaction to the resurrection was not a good one, but rather a worst-case scenario in the minds of these women. Instead of remembering what Jesus had told them before his death, their minds went to the worst possible scenario. This is a reminder to us that when we look at the situations we find ourselves in, when we're put in the worst of situations, not to look at things with fear and dread, but instead remember what Jesus said. These faithful women looked at an empty tomb and wondered what happened to Jesus. And the, answer, the question is soon answered by two men. Now we know them to be angels. It doesn't say that they're angels, but they're men dressed in white, shining in glorious fashion. And they are in the tomb, which probably might have freaked out the women, as you can imagine, that they go with the purpose of embalming Jesus' body for burial, not knowing that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had already done this and that he had already been laid in the tomb. But they go there expecting to find only Jesus' body, and instead they find an empty tomb, no Jesus, and two men in there. Who are you guys and what are you doing in the tomb here? But it was immediately clear to them who they were. They were angels that had opened up the tomb and they were sitting in there and they were messengers to tell the women that he is not here. He is risen just as he said. And there's a reminder there, by the way. He said, didn't he tell you this? Did he not say to you that he would rise again? 
Go, he goes before you into Galilee. Go and tell his disciples. It says, when they, these angels had said that to him, it says, then they remembered his words. Oh, friend, if we could just keep that in mind, whenever things come our way, when fear, worry, and dread, when the worst of our mind tends to get out of control, if we would just simply remember the words that Jesus said, we'd do okay. We'd get through it. We would be fine. Many times we often forget these things. Many times when our mind goes to trauma, when we've been through things, that fight or flight mechanism kicks in and we forget everything. We forget what's important. We forget what is necessary. And Jesus told them what they needed to know for the things that they would see and experience, but they forgot. Sometimes we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of Jesus' words. That's why we're here today, to remember that the resurrection has power. It's not just a date on the calendar. It's not just a three-day weekend for some of you. It's really the whole basis and foundation of our faith, and it's our hope for the future. On their way there, they leave the tomb to head back to tell the disciples. And the Gospel of Matthew's account of the resurrection said that Jesus appeared to the women, and then they greatly rejoiced. I want you to understand that, that there are times when we experience things, our first reaction is not to rejoice, but only after they had experienced the joy of seeing Jesus risen again, seeing that which was taken from them restored, to see that which was gone is now before their very eyes. That caused them to be filled with joy. The word rejoice means to find joy again. We need to remind ourselves to rejoice The scriptures tell us in Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. It means find joy again. Can I just challenge you today, living hope on this resurrection Sunday. Can I challenge you, no matter what you've been through in the last year, in the last few weeks, the last few months, can I challenge you today with this thought? It's a choice to rejoice and to choose to find joy again. Pastor, you don't know what I've been through. I've been through a divorce Find joy again. Pastor, you don't know what I've been through. I've lost my job. My business is failing. It's a choice to rejoice. Find joy again. My children are not serving the Lord. They're far from me. I can't talk to them. Can I challenge you today? Find joy again. They rejoice, and they're happy. And they go and tell the disciples. The second reaction is disbelief. These women, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome, and as well as some others that aren't named, go back and tell the disciples and tell them what happened. They told them the tomb was empty and they saw the Lord. But to the disciples, it says that they considered their words like nonsense, like idle tales, like wives' tales that people had made up, which when you think about it, is very insulting to these women. Especially when you consider, uh, you know, what had happened here. That these women were present at Jesus' crucifixion. Whereas many of the disciples were not. But as is typical of men in those days, and somewhat typical of men these days, we don't always listen to women or believe women when they tell us stuff. But why would these women make that up? That should be the first question. 
These are faithful women, followers of Jesus, people who love the Lord. And they didn't believe them and what they said. The disciples were dismissive of their claims. So much so to the point that, well, I need to go and see it for myself, which is a typical male response, by the way. We don't believe. We have to go and see it for ourselves. And I'll fix this. I'll explain it. There's a logical explanation for everything. It says that Peter and and John, they went to the tomb. It says that Peter started off running, but Peter's a little older. The Gospel of John says that the disciple that Jesus loved, referring to himself, got to the tomb first because he was younger. So the younger disciple ran the older disciple to get to the tomb and saw that it was empty. When they get to the empty tomb, it's John that looks in but doesn't go in. But it's Peter who goes into the tomb himself. And there's disbelief there. Disbelief before they went. You know why? Because people just don't rise from the dead. They don't. And the only one that was responsible for causing people to rise from the dead is dead. So you understand what I'm saying? That Jesus was the one that could raise people from the dead, and now the one who raises people from the dead is dead. So they thought there's no way that he could rise from the dead. And he certainly couldn't have rise from, rose from one of the most torturous and awful punishments that anyone could ever endure, the crucifixion. They had heard about how he died. They had heard from John, who was the only disciple at the cross the day that he died, uh, how brutal the death of Jesus was. And that no one comes back from that. No one comes back from that kind of death. And that when you're laid in a tomb, and not just a tomb, but a tomb made of stone and a tomb with a giant stone laid in front of it with Roman soldiers guarding it, no one escapes from that situation. So as you can imagine, there's a little bit of disbelief there. Some treat the resurrection of Jesus with disbelief. They're okay with Jesus as a religious figure, teacher, prophet or good man, but they really struggle with the idea of him being the son of God. But it's the resurrection in which the power of Easter is found because Christ not only triumphed over death, hell, and the grave for himself, but for every person on the face of the earth. He didn't just overcome death, hell, and the grave himself, but he overcame it for every single person that would put their faith and trust in him. How many know it's easier to do something when someone does it first? Am I right? Have you ever been on a roller coaster before and you were younger and you had a friend that says, let's go on a roller coaster? And you're like, I don't want to go on a roller coaster. They said, you know, I'll go with you. Believe me, it's fun. My daughter wanted to go on a roller coaster. I hate roller coasters, by the way. Because I love my daughter, I go on roller coasters, Okay. But it's easier with someone who goes first, and they would say, it's fine, don't worry about it, come along with me. Or if you've ever not tried a food before, and someone says, you need to try kimchi, or you need to try something spicy, or you need to try sushi, or you need to try this or that, sriracha, whatever, something hot, and you trust them, and you say, because you did it first, I'll do it. Jesus shows and demonstrates to us that victory over the grave is possible because he did it first. The scriptures tell us he is the firstborn among the dead. And because he did it, we can do it too. It's kind of like being at the top of the water slide. And you're looking at that water slide and the rushing water and you're seeing how far down it is. And you say, oh, I don't know. I want to do it. And then eventually you're just like, he went. Look what happened to him. And now I'm going to go too. So let me tell you something, church, today. Whenever you go, 
It could be tomorrow. It could be today. It could be 25 years from now. When you leave this earth, when you draw your last breath, and all of us are just trying to hold on to it like, oh my goodness, I hope it's not today. I hope that if I go to the grocery store, or I pick up the mail, or I talk to my neighbor that I might end up dead. God help us today. That we would be in such an attitude and a demeanor that if today's the day, I know I'm ready because he went before me. And look, he's down there at the bottom. He turned out okay. We can make it if we follow Jesus' example. Thirdly, the reaction to the resurrection is confusion. John looked in and believed. But Peter went in And he picks up the grave clothes, which, by the way, were neatly folded. It's almost like Jesus got up and he says, okay, I'm done. I just fold this and lay it. It's kind of like when you check out of a hotel, you know. Sometimes you might like, okay, I want to put things back sort of where they were. Jesus leaves the tomb and everything's folded up neatly. And and Peter walks into the tomb, picks up the linen, and he says that he's perplexed. He's confused by it. It's clear that something had happened. It was empty, just as the women said. But they were told that he he was risen. But the disciples still did not know what to make of it. And oftentimes when things happen unexpectedly in our lives, we don't know what to make of it. When things don't turn out the way we thought they were, it leaves us guessing and wondering why it happened the way it did. The disciples fully believed that Jesus was going to overthrow the powers of Rome and set up an eternal kingdom that will last forever. And when that didn't happen, they were confused by it. When he died, they were confused by it. When the tomb was empty, they were confused by it. But they had forgotten what Jesus said. All along he said, three days, you know, that I'll be betrayed at the hands of sinful men. I'll be crucified in three days. I will rise again. How many times did he say this to the disciples? And yet they still forgot his words or misinterpreted them or came up with their own idea of what should happen. Doesn't that happen to us a lot? Things don't work out the way that we had hoped because they don't happen the way we think they should happen in our prayer life in our job, in our situations. There's what the Word says, and then we're what we think should happen. And many times, our disappointment, our confusion, and our disillusionment has nothing to do with what God said. It has everything to do with what we thought He said and what we think should happen. So we need to come to that reality and that understanding that, God, whatever you want to do, what your Word said, I will rest in that Word. I will believe in what you said It's easy to forget what Jesus said to us. Maybe you've been through some hard things in your life, things that leave you confused about God's role and plan in all of this. But the Bible wasn't given to confuse you. And God doesn't put us in situations in life to frustrate and confuse us, but rather to cause us to look to him for the answers. It's when things are not clear, when we hear things, when people say, well, he's risen, he's risen indeed, it causes us to go and investigate because we want to know for ourselves, can I challenge you today to investigate the claims of Jesus' resurrection and know for yourself that he indeed rose. Three reactions to the resurrection, fear, disbelief, and confusion. All these are part of the resurrection story. They're part of our human nature. We want to understand everything because when we understand everything, that means that we're in control. 
And when things don't work out the way they think we should, then that's when these feelings arise within us. Fear, disbelief, and confusion. I want to know what's happening. God, tell me what's going to happen. And, and, and I want to make sure that I'm in control of it. And when we're not, that's when we get a little uneasy and unsettled. The disciples forgot Jesus' words. The women at the tomb forgot Jesus' words. He told them what would happen, and he followed through on his promise. There's times where we forget, too. We know what God's word says, and even as it unfolds the way he told us, we still have trouble believing it. We still have our worries and our doubts and our fears, but I want you to notice something about the resurrection. It's only when Jesus came on the scene that fears were relieved, doubts were dispelled, and hope was restored. It's when Jesus appeared that all those things went away. The first reactions to the resurrection were negative, but when Jesus appeared, those negative feelings and reactions were replaced with rejoicing. We have to recognize, too, that Jesus comes to each of those people that were worried, fearful, disbelief, doubting, all of those things. He came to them to settle their hearts and reassure them of his help. I want you to know something about the math of Holy Week. Math, M-A-T-H. And you're like, well, I don't like math, Pastor. I'm not a math person. Some people like math. They really enjoy it. Other people like to do English and history. I'm more of an English history person. There's other people who like doing math because it's like a puzzle. It's a game. They figure it out. Some people can do it in their head, which I'm very impressed by. I cannot do that. I kind of draw the numbers. You ever do that? Like you draw, here's the math equation. Carry the one. It's bad. I know. It's terrible. I should be able to do that, but I can't. So it's terrible. But I want you to know something about the math of Holy Week. Last week was Palm Sunday. And how many people were in the streets calling out Hosanna, saying, Lord, save us, worshiping, here's the king of kings, and laying down their coats before him, and laying down palms before him, and worshiping him as a, as a soon-coming king. Hundreds and hundreds of people filled the streets, crying out his name. By Thursday, Jesus is alone with his 12 disciples, and he's having the last supper with them, and he goes to Gethsemane. And at Gethsemane, when Jesus is arrested, all 11 of them scatter. And after all, 11 of them scatter. Uh, only one chooses to follow him. Peter follows from a distance, wanting to know what happened to Jesus, but eventually denies him. So it goes from hundreds of people to down to 12, down to 11, down to just a few. And then you see later on that once Jesus is uh, arrested, once he is brought before trial, once he is crucified, that that number of people that went from hundreds down to just four, there are only four people at the foot of the cross when he's crucified. Out of all the people that were worshiping him, out of all the people that were followers of him, only four were present at the crucifixion. That's the disciple John, Mary his mother, Mary Magdalene, and uh, Mary the wife of Clopas. There's only four of them there. So all those followers went from hundreds down to four. But then after the resurrection, I want you to notice a reverse of this trend. When Jesus rises from the dead, when the tomb is empty, who does he appear to first? The women. Some of those same women who were there at the resurrection. Who then comes to the tomb after that? It was John who was at the foot of the cross when Jesus died and Peter who followed from a distance. 
Those are the two men that find him afterwards. Then who does he appear to after that? He appears to the 11 in a locked room. They were still locked up in a room because they were worried that the Romans would come for them, the chief priests would come for them, and they too would be crucified as well. And in that locked room, in that place of dread and fear, Jesus steps into the situation. He's like, hey guys, how you doing? And the Lord can come into your locked situation. The Lord can come into your solitude, even into your quarantine-filled life. Jesus can still step into the room and grant you peace. It's only when he stepped into that area that, he, that they actually received and experienced God's peace and rejoicing ensued shortly thereafter. After he appears to his disciples, it says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 6 that he appeared to 500 of his followers for the next 40 days and they were eyewitnesses to the resurrection and the number after that just keeps growing and growing and growing because the power of the resurrection restores that which has been undone where the cross subtracted the resurrection adds that which has been taken away has been restored Jesus went looking for those that were broken by his death and in need of hope. I want you to think about this today. He appeared to those who needed to see him most. You know, Jesus appears to the women and it says that he appears to Mary Magdalene as well. Mary had stayed back in the tomb. The other women had gone on ahead and she's wandering around the garden and she's just weeping, confused, not knowing what to do. And it says that uh, Jesus appeared to her in the garden there. And she was so consumed with grief, her eyes so stained with tears, that she didn't recognize who was standing before her, asking, you know, to, thinking that he was the gardener, saying, if you know where they've taken my Lord, if you know where they've taken Jesus, please tell me. And then Jesus speaks her name, Mary. And immediately, the light snaps on, and she realizes who's standing before her. She realizes that it's her Lord and her Savior, alive and well, and the brokenness, the sadness goes away, and it's replaced with joy as she throws herself down at the feet of Jesus. The Lord can speak your name in an instant and in a moment, and you can find life once again. That sadness will lift, that sorrow and brokenness can be undone. Mary was a woman, Mary Magdalene was a woman who had been through a lot and had not a great reputation. And Jesus had set her free from many things. But the death hit her particularly hard. But he went to her knowing that she needed to see him. When Jesus appeared to the other disciples, when Thomas heard about it, he said, surely he can't be alive unless I see it. Unless I put my hands in the nails and my fingers in the nails in his hand. Unless I put my hand in his side, which was, was pierced by the spear, I won't believe that he's actually risen from the dead. And you know what Jesus did? He didn't go, ah, Thomas, forget him. We don't need him. We've got 10. We can get two more. No big deal. But I want you to notice something, that Jesus takes time for the doubt of one of his own and appears to him. And even though he rebukes him, he corrects him, he says, here I am. You needed the proof? You needed to see me. Here I am. Put your hands here. Put your hands here. I'm here. I'm alive. And he says, my Lord and my God, what Thomas needed, Jesus provided. He appeared to Peter after the empty tomb, after he's confused, 
After everyone leaves the tomb, Jesus appears to Peter, a man who has been broken by shame and guilt, a man who felt as though that he had messed up and there's no chance for him ever to do anything great for God. Again, does it sound familiar? Have you been there? Have you been in a situation where you think that you've messed up so bad that God's done with you? He's washed his hands of you and he has nothing else in store for you? Peter felt that way. He denied Jesus three times to save his own skin. And who does Jesus decide to appear to but a man that's broken by by sin and shame? And he brings forgiveness. He brings restoration and he gives him purpose once again. The resurrection has the power to do that. Where do you find yourself today? As I ask the worship team to come forward. Where do you find yourself this morning? I don't know what you're going through. I'm not walking in your shoes. Some of you, I know your story. Some of you let me into your life and I know what's going on. But some of you, you walk a road and that there are some people that have no idea what's going on. But I don't know what you're going through, but maybe you're like Mary Magdalene, but a hard life full of brokenness and sadness and sorrow. Maybe everything that you look at as you reflect upon your life has just been filled with tears and sadness. Some of us reflect upon our childhood and our upbringing fondly, but some of us didn't have that luxury growing up. Some of us, all we remember is strict difficulty and hardness and never being told that we were loved by those who cared about us. And maybe we try to compensate with that, for that, by looking for it in, in friendship and acceptance and relationships, only to find our, our hopes dashed time and time again. We find ourselves sad and broken. And the times of isolation are particularly difficult for us because it just feels like the way it did when you were growing up. Look, I tell you today that even in your sadness, even in your brokenness, even in your situation, that Jesus still appears to those who need him. He still speaks you your name. Do you know that he knows you by name? He knows the number of hairs on your head, knows the number of your days. Jesus still speaks your name to bring you out of the darkness, to bring you out of the sadness and despair. Maybe you're like Thomas. Like Thomas, you've had your doubts and your fears and you've had your, your reservations about God and about religion and church. And maybe you're like, well, I'm here because of somebody else or my mom made me go or whatever the case might be. And you're like, I'm not sure I believe in this Jesus. I'm not sure I believe in the actual resurrection. I want to challenge you today to research the resurrection. You'll find that there's convincing proofs that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. And it's, that whole thing has turned the world upside down. But even where you are with your doubts, with your reservations and your hesitations, I want you to know that Jesus is still available to speak to you. He can come to where you are and be able to settle the doubts and the concerns and the fears. The scriptures tell us that the Lord is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, for those that are looking for him, for those who want to understand, there is answer. There are answers Maybe you're like Peter, and maybe along the way you've messed up and you've had some shortcomings and some failings today, but I want you to know that the power of forgiveness is the power of the cross. The power of forgiveness is in the power of the resurrection. The fact that uh, Peter 
knew that Jesus went to his grave without Peter being able to say to Jesus, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to deny you. I was weak. I was, I was afraid, and, and, I, and I fell short of that. And there are so many times in our life that we have people that we care about, that people that are part of our family or friends that we had unresolved issues with, and we never got a chance to say, I'm sorry, and we never had a last conversation with them to make it right. But Jesus rises from the dead, and he finishes the conversation with he rises from the dead and he lets him know it's going to be okay. There's forgiveness, there's grace, and there's purpose once more. That's the power of the cross. That's the power of the resurrection. I wonder if we can just take a moment in quiet reflection today with heads bowed, with eyes closed. I want to ask you today a question on my heart wherever you are today, wherever you find yourself in, my question to you is this. Have you allowed Jesus to step into your situation to make things right? Have you allowed him into the place where you're at to be able to address the feelings that every human being feels, feelings of worry and fear and dread, feelings of disbelief, feelings of confusion. Have you allowed the risen Jesus into that space of your life? And if you haven't, today are you willing to? Today are you willing to say, Jesus, I put my faith and my trust in you. I put my hope in you as the only means for my salvation, the only means for my hope and my future. I put my trust in that's where you are today. If the words that I've spoken this morning have spoken to your heart in some way, we just raise your hand. As we close this service today, I want to pray for you. Say, Pastor, what you said has spoken to me. Would you pray for me right now? Remember me in your prayers, Pastor. Then let's pray fully understanding power of the resurrection at work in us that you would choose to rejoice again and let Christ bring joy, hope, forgiveness, and purpose to your life once more. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the promise that is fulfilled in the resurrection through your Son. Lord, I pray today let your light shine into every situation that's here. Lord, that those who need to see you and experience you would encounter the risen Jesus, full of love, full of power, full of compassion. Lord, bringing exactly what each person needed to see in their moment of need. I pray, would you visit them today? Lord, right in this place, wherever they are, Lord, when they lay their heads on the pillow at night, I pray, Lord, that you would make yourself real to them and that those things that once were reactions and responses to the things of life, I pray that they would disappear by the wayside in the light of your presence, God. So be at work in hearts and lives today. Lord, may the joy of the resurrection fill this room and fill every home. We ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. 
We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.